0: Hi, I'm Caroline Cabrera. I'm Ann Holmes. And I'm Gail Thompson.
1: And this is Now That We're Friends.
0: The three of us have been friends for 10 years. We met at a creative writing MFA program at the University of Massachusetts, but now we all live in different cities. I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm in Washington, D.C.
2: And I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So this is a show where we invite you into our inner circle and give you the guidance we'd normally give each other, as well as recommendations for things to watch, read, and listen to that could help you through a problem.
1: Basically, you ask us for advice, and we give you not advice, but homework. It's more like a prescription, but we are writers and not doctors.
0: Bear with us on sound stuff. We're essentially using a fancy version of Skype to communicate with one another, and we're still figuring out some kinks, and we don't need any kink shaming. (laughs)
2: And now we present to you our first episode of Now That We're Friends. Now that we're
1: friends, here is an album you would like, here is a book you would like. I think you'd like my cat and also my dog, because we're friends, now that we're friends, now that we're friends, now that we're friends.
0: I just almost picked up my microphone to drink out of it instead of my teacup.
1: (laughs)
2: Hello, (laughs) and welcome to Now
1: That We're
0: Friends, the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework. Now That We're Friends is an arts advice podcast where instead of Dear Abby, we offer specially curated mixtapes of music, art, TV shows, poems, etc. to suit your mood and help you get through whatever you're doing.
1: That was Caroline Cabrera out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, whose love for Michael Phelps is going swimmingly. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: That was Gail Thompson out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, who does the most kick-ass karaoke version of Reba McIntyre's Fancy that you've ever heard. <laughs>
0: and that's Ann Holmes out of D.C., who is an oboe queen, an oboe queen, also the queen of Boston. Uh, let's let's get into it who do we have a, a question from this week so we have a
2: question from Bridget should we listen to it please yes please hello ladies um my name is Bridget my question has to do with motivation so my life is nice um but it's not great I don't make any money and I'm perpetually single But I have very little motivation to change either of these things, which would not be a problem if I was like 10 years younger, but I'm just going to keep getting older. And so any advice you have to help me would be greatly appreciated or else I'm just going to die a spinster under a bridge. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Spinster under a bridge. It's so good. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So... Should we talk a little bit about this question yes. before we yes. dive in with recommendations? Yes, It
1: feels really incredibly relatable. Yes. This feeling of like, I really want to change some things, but I also don't super want to change
0: some things. Because uh, yeah. like, being comfortable feels nice. Yeah, this makes me think... Um, or even being uncomfortable can feel nice if it's what you're used to. It makes me think of I, – I recently right. replaced my mattress. And because I I had my mattress <laughs> since I was like 16 years old, because my parents got me furniture for my 16th birthday, which is like – I don't know. I might need to write into advice about that at some <laughs> point. But um, I got this mattress from a department store that doesn't even exist anymore when I was 16. and. I never like flipped or turned it or did anything. I just kept laying in the exact same spot for 16 years. And so there was like a canoe where my body laid. But just the thought of having to like think about mattress prices made me just keep sleeping in this terrible, painful canoe for years. Mm -hmm. So I feel (laughs) like Bridget is in a mattress canoe. Um, Yeah.
1: Actually, and speaking (laughs) of sleeping, it's a lot like when you're really, really sleepy, but you have to pee. Yes. You're like, oh God, okay, so I'm so sleepy that I can't get up, but I also probably won't be able to go to sleep unless I pee, so you then you just sit there for like an hour trying to figure out whether you want to get up and like leave the warm cocoon of, you know, your bed while also still having to pee and then actually pee.
2: Right, or if you're like me, you then dream for like the next three hours about weird scenarios in which- You have to pee. Right. And then you wake up and you're like, oh man, I'm having all these nightmares about peeing. I could probably just do it. But it's really hard to motivate yourself to do it because bed is so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I guess unless you're in a
0: a mattress canoe. (laughs) It was awful. I mean, my quality of life has improved greatly since I bought the new mattress. I think I'm a kinder person. That probably doesn't relate to Bridget, but (laughs) (laughs) it all relates, it's
2: all relative. This also just makes me think, like, Bridget seems like a very self-reflective person, which I think sometimes makes motivation more difficult in some ways. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but, like, this problem of, like, I know that I'm not, like, dying of tuberculosis Mm -hmm. and my life is pretty nice and I should be grateful Mm. for this, but, like, it's not really an excuse to just like keep the status quo and like stay in my comfort zone. So I think we get into this rut of we know that things are okay, but that's also sometimes an excuse to like not push ourselves, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I just, I like, I so feel this question. Yes. And it's just, it's like the pain of being
0: a person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing that I want to recommend to Bridget, I don't know, as soon as I saw this question, I started thinking about the novel, The Idiot by Illith <laughs> Batuman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Caroline, that was my first recommendation as well. Is it really? Yes. Oh my God, I love it. So let's both say why. <laughs> yes.
2: I wrote like copious notes about why. So I want to hear what you have to say. Well,
1: I've never read it. Okay. So obviously this is something I need to read.
0: <laughs> yes. It's wonderful. So I I was reading – when I read this book, I had like a very strange experience where I was like, this book sounds both so familiar and so odd and so off kilter. And then I read a blurb on the back of it that described it. It said that she wanted to write in the style of a 19th century novel. So that very like – like very focused in on one character and their interiority and just kind of like moving through their everyday thoughts and stuff, but with a 20th century character. So – The character is a young woman who's at an Ivy League school, and I think it's set in like the mid to late 90s, but it's very, it's sort of jarring to see a modern, a more modern person written in that way, and you just kind of like move through her thoughts, and she's she's very impressionable. She's kind of like taking in all these big personalities around her, and kind of like, she just kind of goes along with a lot. It's almost absurd the degree to which she gives up agency, but she's very bright. She's super funny. She's like smarter and funnier than she knows. That's something you get through the voice throughout. I I did like come up with a couple of quotes from it that I thought demonstrated this. Like she at times is really self-referential almost to being a character in a book. She says, I wanted to know how it was going to turn out, like flipping ahead in a book. I didn't even know what kind of story it was or what kind of role I was supposed to be playing which of us was taking it more seriously? Didn't that have to be me because I was younger and also because I was the girl? On the other hand, I thought that there was a way in which I was lighter than he was. And there was a serious heaviness about him that was foreign to me and that I rejected. So she's just like, yeah, she, but she's, she's so just kind of like, it's like she lives through inertia, like whatever pushes around her, she just goes with. And like I believe, if I remember correctly, partly on the advice of this boy that she's like a little bit obsessed with, she decides to volunteer in Hungary for the summer. And she says, mm-hmm. I suppressed a sigh. Hungary felt increasingly like reading War and Peace. New characters came up every five minutes with their unusual names and distinctive locutions, and you had to pay attention to them for a time, even though you might never see them again or for the whole rest of the book. I would rather have talked to Ivan, the love interest, but somehow I didn't get to decide. At the same time, I also felt that these super abundant personages weren't irrelevant at all, but somehow the opposite, and that when Ivan had told me to make friends with the other kids, he had been telling me something important about the world, about how the fateful character in your life wasn't the one who buried you in a rock, but the one who led you out to more people. Yes. Yeah. And what really made me think about Bridget is the way that we can sort of just get almost like just kind of pushed forward. And we start to feel like we're without agency in our own lives. We just kind of do what we've been doing or like, it's like, we're just like following the water, but it's really interesting to see a 20th century character accepting that's more kind of like 19th century, like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just like a, I'm just a cog in this wheel because I think we're so much more individualistic now. And I think like you, Bridget, could stand to be a little bit more 21st century Bridget. I feel like I'm going to go off on like a thing here that's going to take us away from the book for just a minute. But I've been thinking a lot about what it was like to grow up in the 90s because I think the 90s were a time where it's like you had to really just act unaffected and and not super engaged all the time to be cool. And so I think you need to wash the 90s off of you. And that means no grunge music, even though it's great. No looking at Kate Moss, nothing. You need to leave that behind for this moment in your life and be very 21st century Bridget.
2: I love that, Caroline. Thank you. And I had similar sort of parallels when sort of thinking about the idiot and Bridget's question. And I had written down... Bridget, you need to be the protagonist of your own life. Yes. <laughs> Which I think Selin struggles to do. And I think to us in a sense, like a lot of us struggle to do. I love too about the book that she is sort of propelled into all of these situations kind of by passivity, but she's also like very critical and very cerebral mm-hmm. at the same time. Like she's very self-reflective about what's happening to her but at the same time she's sort of letting the world wash over her in this sense something i love about this book too and knowing sort of that bridget you're kind of this observational person is that in this book there's so much time spent on these observations of what's going on inside but also like exterior to the character like the descriptions of like objects Mm -hmm are so much richer than the descriptions of people one of the funny things about the book is that like her love interest ivan is kind of like milk toast he's kind of like this bland dude <laughs> who isn't super interesting and even she's like questioning why she's infatuated with him but yeah sort of sort of she she kind of lets herself go in the details but it also leads her to like these really risky situations which I think is, is interesting. So like she's sort of along for the ride, but at the same time she's she realizes that she's like taking risks because she's being pushed by other people and other people's suggestions. All that said, I agree with you, Caroline, and this was like my primary suggestion mm-hmm. because it's kind of a book about – it doesn't have much of a plot, No, but I think like – the the interiority of the character and this like struggle to be the protagonist of your own life is super relevant here. And Bridget, I just, I want you to be the protagonist and I want you to be able to take risks. I think it, the
1: protagonist in your own life is really interesting because it's something that I've been kind of like going over the last few days thinking about this because I feel very not even unmotivated sometimes. I feel I'm motivated to do the things that are really expected of me. So like, if I'm supposed to be this person that does these things, then like, of course, I'm going to finish all of the things that I need to do. But by that time, I've kind of gone through and I'm like, oh, I actually don't even know what I want to do. Like who even, what's my identity? Who even am I? Right. And so I was thinking about how This doesn't necessarily have to do with social media, but I think social media plays into this where to me, or I guess to a person, everyone else seems to have like this narrative or this story, or everyone else seems to have meaning. I'm not suggesting the Neapolitan novels, but um, (laughs) but it's in that way- I wrote that down too. Did you? Okay. So it's in that way where like you feel like you have no meaning, but other people have meaning- and like you're just kind of like doing you know everything feels really messy but you look at someone else doing the exact same thing that that you're doing and you're like oh well that that makes sense and it's because obviously like you're the way that you see other people is in a narrative and it's in a story and because it has like this you know these like individual scenes that kind of get stacked up to to then become a story it makes sense to you and so that's why other people look like they have meaning but really nobody has I mean, it like horribly, but nobody has meaning. And so I was thinking about the thing that really helps me. I Again, I resonate with this just so hard. And as the resident single person here, uh, I think that is a total part of it. But when I feel like I need to kind of figure out who I am and what I want to do and at least just kind of get myself up and moving and being a person um, I sometimes I'll just like imagine myself in a movie or I'll imagine myself in like a music video or a book and I kind of think of myself as like and it's a little bit like fake it till you make it which I kind of am going to talk about or want to talk about a little bit later but like it it's a little bit like okay I'll put on the hour soundtrack Because like in my head, I'm now going to be the person who's going to work because now I have the movie soundtrack in my head or something like that. And so sometimes it's like thinking of yourself as an other or as someone else so that you can kind of make your own story about yourself so that like all of a sudden you have meaning and you can do those things. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's almost like putting a putting a frame around you because like yeah other people feel very framed for you is what I'm like kind of getting from what you're saying Gail. like you see mm-hmm. like the you see the the moments or whatever and you don't have that for for yourself it's like put a frame around and now I don't I have like distinct edges to work with or something rather than mm-hmm. like this like yeah ever expansive void that I am <laughs> Yeah, right. you can like see the
2: arc of your own narrative better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's like literally what meaning is is like picking out a pattern and then extrapolating from it. And you can only have a pattern if it begins and ends. And so, like, I guess that's probably not true. Mathematically, I guess it's probably not true. But this is not um, this is not a
0: math podcast.
1: <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. Then I prepped for the wrong one. Oh God, we have to stop.
2: That um, would be like my nightmare. <laughs> And suddenly this turned into a math podcast. Hi,
1: We're, well, you're, you're now part of the math podcast and you have to pee. Hi.
2: It's like that, like that that dream where like all my stress dreams culminate in like math class in high school where I've shown up and suddenly there's a math exam. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Hello
0: and welcome to Now That It's Math. Oh,
2: no! God. Surprise, it's
1: math. <laughs> but yeah, so I like the thing that kind of helps me – And I think, like, it's recently helped me because of that, but also I think probably because this son has now come to Michigan. And so, like, I'm putting those two together. But it's been really helpful to me lately, which is just like, this is what a person might do now. Okay, I will do this now. You know, I'll... Just turn on some music. And I'm like, oh, I'm the kind of person who turns on music now. Okay, great. And then it get beca- like once you kind of start seeing yourself as, I don't know, like not necessarily like a character, but you start seeing yourself as kind of this is a person who does things because that's really all you are is a series yes. of choices. And so you get to see the steps that you get to take. And by seeing them as someone else, you're like applying meaning to yourself.
0: Yeah. And I've even had times when I have been dealing with depression where. What I will choose to do is I'm like, what would not depressed Caroline do right now? I'll just keep doing Mm -hmm. those things. And you might be doing them and not feeling joy from them because that's not where you are. But you just keep doing the things because sometime down the road, you'll still be doing the things and you'll be getting joy from them again. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Caroline would want to be at the beach right now. That's like a a big part of my life, guys, going to the beach. And... (laughs) But, you know, when I'm depressed, I don't even want to do that. I'm like, what's the point? I'll just read here. I'll just sleep. And then I'm like, no, what Caroline would do is go to the beach. So I think if you can find maybe some things Mm -hmm. like what does 21st century Bridget do and start doing those things. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and yeah, and mine is mine recently. I think it happens every spring. I think I'm understanding that what I go through is very seasonal. What? Um, But... (laughs) No shock like I anyway I I continue to put those things together but even a couple days ago I was like literally every horrible mental health time has gotten better with March coming Mm -hmm. and I was like oh that makes a lot anyway neither here nor there but I was thinking like what is it when I'm thinking about the Gail who she was before she left for Michigan and like doesn't have a support system anymore and like it's doing like she's not super sure what she's doing anymore and kind of whether things matter and I'm like who was the gale before that oh she really liked music oh you know what I haven't listened to music or danced in two years or two or three years that's something that like I should probably remind myself that I enjoy and so then I'm kind of like okay and now an old gale or a you know other kind of gale would (laughs) (laughs) character gale would turn on music now and you know with would like set up this playlist and things like that. So one of my suggestions is my playlist, Um, (laughs) but it's called Gail Get Up. It's it's like my playlist that I have for that. But yeah, it's like, it's thinking about yourself as kind of a character, like, because literally like you have to kind of see yourself as a framed being to see where like meaning can be.
0: I also really like Gail what you said about being a like being a person is just like making a series of choices because I that's what I was thinking too with this book. If you're just like living through inertia then it feels like you don't have the agency to do anything, but like you just do it. And there's actually one of the quotes I had pulled from The Idiot has to do with that. She says, even though I had a deep conviction that I was good at writing and that in some way I already was a writer This conviction was completely independent of my having ever written anything or being able to imagine ever writing anything that I thought anyone would like to read.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's what I mean, it's my it's all my students, really. They they'll like write me their dear Gale letters and they'll be like, well, I'm not a writer. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you are because you just wrote several things or like like they'll have written like these great poems. and They'll be like, I'm not a poet. Or, you know, I'm not, like, I don't
2: write but poetry. And I'm like, well, you did, though. You just did. You know? Yeah, because we all think of identity as, like, this kind of weird, like, boundaryed, static thing, which yeah, is, is wild because we all do yeah. all sorts of different things.
1: So I've been thinking a lot about Zeno's paradox, which I think a lot about all the time, actually, which is – I don't know what that is, Gail. Oh, I'm Me about either. to
0: explain it. Excellent. So-
1: and I, I got really obsessed with it in college, and then I wrote a lot of papers about it in grad school. To me, it's this, like, giant thing that makes total sense. I think it's great. So Zeno was this – I think he was Greek. I don't know. I mean, I know he was Greek, but I don't know anything else about it. He was, like, this old Greek thought guy. <laughs> so he has this paradox or this, like, idea that, like, really despite what our senses might show us motion actually never happens and so change never actually like nothing ever changes and emotion never happens um his little like quote is like suppose homer wishes to walk to the end of a path but before he can get there he must get halfway there before he can get halfway there he must get a quarter of the way there before traveling a quarter of the way there he must travel one eighth before an eighth one sixteenth and so on and so on really it's saying that like motion never happens no matter how close we are to each other we're never actually touching It's just that kind of like, if like in order to do these things, we have these infinities of things that we have to do, then motion never happens, Okay. (laughs) which I see that in poems all the time. Mm -hmm. The poem that I was thinking a lot about is this great, it's super, super long. So I just want to like, and it's also very, very repetitive, but that's kind of the point. But I'll only read like the, like a small, the beginning part of it. And it's by Chelsea Martin and it's called McDonald's is Impossible. And it starts out. Eating food from McDonald's is mathematically impossible because before you can eat it, you have to order it and before you can order it, you have to decide what you want and before you can decide what you want, you have to read the menu and before you can read the menu, you have to be in front of the menu and before you can be in front of the menu, you have to wait in line and before you can wait in line, you have to drive to the restaurant and before you can drive to the restaurant, you have to get in your car and before you can get in your car, you have to put your clothes on and before you put clothes on, you have to get out of bed and before you can get out of bed, you have to stop being so depressed. And before you can stop being depressed, you have to understand what depression is. And before you can understand what depression is, you have to think clearly. And before you can think clearly, you have to turn off the TV. And before you can turn off the TV, you have to free your hands, and so on and so on.
0: Oh, man, um, I love that. <laughs> and
1: yes, yeah, and it goes on for like – two or three pages. And uh, like, it's like, uh, before you can, you know, choose who a person is, you have to like them. Before you can like them, you have to interact with someone. Before you interact with someone, you have to introduce yourself. Before you can introduce yourself, you have to be in a social situation. And before you can be in a social situation, you have to be invited to something somehow. And then it just goes, like it's just this whole, it's, it's incredible and it goes on for so long. And to me, it's that like Zeno's paradox of, okay, well, if I'm going to do this one thing, then like I have to do all of these things in order to get that done. And therefore I'm going to continue to think about those things and lay here.
2: Oh, that's like the terror of being a person. So yeah. like well encapsulated. Yeah. I love so that so much. I have
0: My sister is just the best, as you guys know. She's very like, she's one of the most together, productive, responsible. She has a lot of responsibilities, both professionally and in our family. And She has sometimes like inordinate amount of stress and she's able to like deal with it really, really well. But something that never ceases to amaze and amuse me is that every time my sister moves, this has happened the past two times she's moved, where she'll ask me to come help her and she'll tell me that she's going to do all the packing before I get there. And then I'll come to her house and she will be laying on her bed, (laughs) not having packed a single thing. Yeah. And then when we're actually doing the moving, she will become like the little bee obsessed with something other than moving. (laughs) And she's just incapable of doing it. And it makes me like in the moment, I'm like, girl, (laughs) get the fuck up. (laughs) We need to move your house. You have to be out, you know. (laughs) But also, it's something that like charms me so much because I love to see that even people who are really together and like are capable of everything. There are those things that just seem insurmountable because there's just too many little parts to do. Like there's too much to get done. Like before you move, you have to pack all the boxes and you have to pack each box and you have to divide the things and you have to decide what you're keeping and what you're not. Like all those little things that go into something like moving your house can be too hard for someone who can do things that are way harder than that. I think it's just a good reminder, Bridget. Mm -hmm. There's not anything you're dealing with all the things that it's not as easy. Easy for anyone as it looks.
1: Yeah, so that reminds me. There's the part in the Friends episode. I think it's like the third or fourth episode. And then they all have the sleepover. And Rachel is talking about how she doesn't know what to do. And like everything is really confusing and whatever. And she's like, I don't have a plan. Does anybody else have a plan? And Phoebe, who's already drunk, goes like, I don't even have a (laughs) pluff. And I hate everyone who says that Friends isn't funny. Because I have a very good sense of comedy And I
2: think that's funny. So So I have a poetry recommendation also. Okay, great. So I, Bridget, want to recommend a poetry collection called The Irrationalist by Suzanne Buffum. Fuck yes. Which is really one of my like go-to poetry collections because I think she is just an incredible writer and she has a way with really characterizing like the agony of the mind at work and like how like impossible sometimes like really tedious monotonous things seem. She just like approaches life in a very witty and tender way, but it's also like full of a lot of dark humor. There's also a lot of like curiosity and hope for like internal and external change and like trying to break the status quo and how like difficult Motivation can be. She just kind of keeps like flipping motivation and desire around and around. Anyway, I'm going to read a poem. This one is called The New Experience. I was ready for a new experience. All the old ones had burned out. They lay in little ashy heaps along the roadside and blew in drifts across the fairgrounds and fields. From a distance, some appeared to be smoldering, but when I approached with my hat in my hands, they let out small puffs of smoke and expired. Through the windows of houses, I saw lives lit up with the otherworldly glow of TV, and these were smoking a little bit too. I flew to Rome. I flew to Greece. I sat on a rock in the shade of the Acropolis and conjured dusky columns in the clouds. I watched waves lap the crumbling coast. I heard wind strip the woods. I saw the last living snow leopard pacing in the dirt. Experience taught me that nothing worth doing is worth doing for the sake of experience alone. I bit into an apple that tasted sweetly of time. The sun came out. It was the old sun with only a few billion years left to shine. Which is just a beautiful poem.
0: It really is. But...
2: I love this just kind of agonizing over like what is worth pursuing, what is worth obsessing over, which I just think like this is just a really great poetry collection to read because it's just sort of the mind kind of flipping over itself a lot, which I think Mm -hmm. we all do when we're feeling kind of like stagnant and ready to like confront our comfort zone. But acknowledging that it's really difficult to do. So I just think this poetry collection, it really like characterizes that difficulty pretty well, but also presents like these often like really funny ways to just to also kind of like confront those feelings.
0: It's funny that you bring that collection up because something I really love about hi- about it, and it's a quality in a poet that I really admire, is that her work can be very intellectual and heady, while still remaining, like emotionally relevant, because I think that's something that poets sometimes like sacrifice one for the other. And she does both so well. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that we talked about with the idiot. Like I think those, I don't know what it is about Bridget's question. Exactly. I can't put my finger on it. But I think there's something there about being able to merge like the way you intellectualize things and the way you feel them and being able to put those together.
2: Yes.
1: I haven't read (sighs) that book. So that's it's Gail, so I'm good. so
0: excited for you and for Bridget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one thing that I uh,
1: was thinking about, and I can't – I have no idea where I found this, but it was this quote that said, like, don't mistake comfort for happiness. Yes. Which, like, is just, again, what we've been talking about. Yes. Um. This is like Netflix. It's like going back to the same show that you watch, <clears throat> like, Friends, over and over again because it's comforting and it's not – like, you don't have to – try anything new and you don't have to kind of go anything and, you, and it's great and it's awesome and there's nostalgia and there's this like sense of like warmth that comes from it but at the same time that's like it quells your anxiety but it also doesn't allow your brain to like grow new neurons <laughs> which is not grow new neurons pathways to neurons it again is. this math, is a neuroscientist
0: math, science. <laughs> really into the hard sciences sciences here the humanities will get you nowhere in life and i think we all deeply believe that yep
1: and then I also just was thinking about the, the line in the national the blood buzz, Ohio. I owe, uh, I owe money to the money, to the money I owe. I've never felt a line more deeply in my whole life. That is so good. That's great. <laughs> right. It just feels like I can't, like I'm, I have all, I mean, I literally am dealing with that now, but like, it's just like you have to keep doing the status quo and you have to keep doing the things that are expected to of you because you you have to in order to stay alive, but those things are also getting in your way of actually getting the debt paid or getting to any new place, which is so frustrating.
0: Yeah, I also, I had not thought about this before, but since you bring up The National, I want to throw out that in the song Slow Show, they have the line, I got to get my shit together, got to gather my shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a favorite of mine. <laughs> yeah. On the other side of motivation. Something I started to think about was ambition. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And also just, I mean, this sort of takes me back to the nineties a little bit, but I don't think it's something that stopped in the nineties at all. I was just thinking about how women's ambition is portrayed on TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And I was just thinking about like rom-coms where if a woman is career driven or ambitious in any way it's like oh that uptight shrew who needs to be like shaken out of her like crazy lady ways i thought about the movie election and tracy flick and then i was just thinking about reese witherspoon a lot and i was thinking about how in the movie election i mean obviously her character is is meant to be like insufferable and meant to be really difficult but she's also this really ambitious thoughtful you know like She's got all these qualities that I think if they were cast around a man would be positive, right? But on the little cute little body of Reese Witherspoon as Tracy Flick, they're like a pimple that needs to be popped or something.
1: The, the male version would be, what's that Wes Anderson movie, the first one? The one with Jason Schwartzman? Yes. Um, And like, he's, he's seen as like the, yes, Rushmore. And he's the protagonist and like, he's the like hero. It's so
0: funny. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I thought about that movie too. And I didn't think about those characters in like opposition to each other, but you're right. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, he's so misunderstood. And like, isn't he so quirky and great? Yeah. You're absolutely right.
1: He has this brilliant plan that just like nobody understands.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And, and then I remembered when big little lies came out, I read an article, and then when I tried tried to look it up, I couldn't find it because there were so many articles kind of saying the same thing. But it was saying how the Reese Witherspoon's character in Big Little Lies, Madeline, is sort of the grown-up version of Tracy Flick. Like, she's very ambitious, and she's, like, hard and tough and, like, direct and in-your-face. But also that that role allows her to give nuance and dimension to Madeline, where Tracy Flick was not given that nuance and dimension. And it was like, it was just like this whole thing in defense of, of Tracy Flick. And this one article I saw talked about how like almost every role Reese Witherspoon's ever done has been in conversation with Tracy Flick ever since. And it's like, you know, when she's playing, (laughs) when she's playing like the fancy fashion lady in, um, Sweet Home Alabama, that it's almost like her character is saying like, no, 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 not you, not again to Tracy Flick. But that finally in Big Little Lies, she's like, yes, Tracy, we're back. <laughs> and <laughs> so I guess what I'm recommending is, I I am sort of recommending Election and I'm sort of recommending Big Little Lies, but I'm just recommending like a deep dive into Reese Witherspoon.
2: <laughs> I mean, Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde, exactly.
0: Um, legally Blonde on. Yeah, and like Legally Blonde is a great example of like, she's someone who- did find ambition and did find, you know, and, and really came into her own and started kind of, I mean, even though she always had this sense of agency, she started to do the things she was pursuing for like kind of wrongheaded reasons and then got herself on track and is like, amazing. When I watched that movie with um my husband, Phil you know, I'd seen it a million times. He'd never seen it. And I was like, you should watch Legally Blonde. And he didn't really know that much about it, but just thought it was going to be like really shitty. And he just kept making jokes at the beginning where he was like, I can't believe that that's Academy Award winner Reese Witherspoon. And I was like, you better bet it is. And he was like, I'm just going to take a nap. So you watch whatever you want. And I put it on and he never napped. He watched the whole movie and now he loves it. So agreed. (laughs) Legally Blonde is amazing. But also, um, What's the other one I was thinking? I mean, she's really great as June Carter and she's like strong. And, you know, what I want to say is just that I think that we've been always getting these subliminal messages that ambition is negative for a woman to have. And I think that it can be hard to have motivation if you're not supposed to try, right? Like if you're not supposed to be striving, Mm -hmm. if you're not supposed to be this like go getter, what does motivation do for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would say, look at ambitious women, in a positive light. And even with Big Little Lies, I feel like all the women in that show are showing a different facet, like the Laura Dern character, another one who I think in a typical show might be just that like one-dimensional, like wealthy, bitchy, whatever, but we see all those dimensions to her character instead. So I guess I am recommending Big Little Lies and the entire oeuvre if I'm saying that correctly, of (laughs) Reese Witherspoon's career.
2: (laughs) That's great. I loved that, Caroline. Thank you.
1: I think that like mine won't go very as detailed as that, but on that same kind of Reese Witherspoon, ambitious, bucking other people's expectations of you. I highly also recommend Erica Sanchez's book of poetry called Lessons on Expulsion and also the it's a YA book. I haven't read it yet, but I am not your perfect Mexican daughter, which I can't wait to read, but I haven't oh, read yeah. it yet. But yeah, the book is so much about kind of it's, I mean, it's dealing with like growing up and misogyny and your kind of parents' expectations of you. And, you know, she's kind of like going between all of these different, I guess, all of the cultural expectations of uh, being a Mexican-American, of being a woman, of being an ambitious woman. And I think the entire collection is really really well done in that way. And also just follow her on Twitter, even though one of my recommendations is to not ever see social media ever again. Um, (laughs) But if you do, follow her on social media. (laughs) It just reminded me of, again, as the resident single person of like the difficulty of trying to date and the difficulty of, I mean, there's all sorts of difficulties of dating, which is like, you know, like how, how do you try to date On Tinder, which is apparently what everyone's using these days. No one is using anything else. But all it does is it just shows you pictures of guns and balding men with sweaty foreheads. And it's like, oh, great. These are my pickings. (laughs) I might as well just lay down and not go to McDonald's or whatever. So I have, and I have some ideas with that. But can I um, ask a
0: sincere question? Yeah. I started dating my husband.
1: I know. I don't want to years old. So
0: I, I haven't yeah. been out on these streets for a while now. Are there really guns? Did, did people put guns in their photos?
1: Oh, yeah. So three people on Tinder last night, they just had pictures of their closet of guns as their profile. That is terrifying. Picture. I know. And like, no, no words. It wasn't even like, hey, ladies, here's my gun collection. It was just like, or even, like, a gun collection and also a picture. It was, like, just the gun collection. This guy happens to live in Muskegon. And, okay, that's it. They're no They're Not even a name. It's, like, FC. Here's his pictures of guns, and he lives in Muskegon. Oh, God. That just Who's going to look seems, at that and be, that like, seems like a threat. I, I feel right. like the big... Like, as a woman, I would just... I mean, is he trying to attract, like himself because maybe like he's he's like man if i were really wanting to date myself i'd be looking for my gun i just feel
0: like the big like seeming to me the big first hurdle of online dating is like getting over the idea that you're just going to meet a serial killer and so i feel like (laughs) oh yeah oh jesus i'm sorry bridget i'm sorry gail
1: (laughs) it's the i mean that's the thing it's like and then you get to the point when you're 30 ish and not like, and everybody else, it seems again, it seems that everybody else just kind of didn't really try that hard. They happened to meet whoever it was just like through normal things. And you're kind of thinking like, okay, cool. So that makes me not a normal person. It, obviously, like there's something at the core unlovable about me that like, I can't just like do things in a normal way, like other people. Right. And that's like the whole other thing question an idea but then when you hit like your 30s there is this big jump to like if I'm gonna like make this a priority I have to like actively pursue it like a hobby and then it makes you want to die
0: yeah this is not actually something I had written down as a suggestion but I did read Aziz Ansari's Modern Romance a few years ago and he just talks oh, yeah. about the challenges of like like he talks about um and I'm just gonna be paraphrasing this because it's you know right off the top of my head but it's something like in the '50s, say, or the '60s, that like most people in New York City ended up uh, married to someone who lived within five blocks of them, because like the way that you met people was just running into them, and mm-hmm. and then also it meant that like your sea of fish was just infinitely smaller, and that that's part of the reason that online dating is so hard, is it's like you're meeting people everywhere. And it feels like there's both too many people and also no one. But just like how how has changed the dating experience for everybody? I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, my dating pool is very small. And then I get three like rotten goldfish. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that totally applies to me. But anyway, it's really hard. And especially when you're someone who like has a rich interior life and like doesn't super go out and have like a bunch of social experiences, like If you perhaps move to Michigan, then you're kind of like stuck with these like veneer versions of like what people might be out there. I don't know. It's hard. It sucks. Um, Yeah. And I guess then that kind of I want to like get back into the because I think this might have to do with the tender thing or it's what I'm kind of trying to tell myself with the tender thing. Is that like the, the tender thing, which I really I'm
0: just call it the tender. Thing. I just – wait. Um, that sounds like a better dating app, tender. tender. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. Two ideas. One, it's people who just want to cuddle. The other, yeah. it's people who just want to eat chicken tenders. <laughs> oh, my God. What if you want to
2: do both
0: at the same time? That is the best Venn diagram ever. Yeah. Do you remember that Mexican place we used to go to that had chicken tenders? The the Mexican place was called Mama yeah, Iguana's, t- and her chicken tenders were called Mama's Tenders.
1: <laughs> Mama's, Mama's, no, Mom, wasn't it Mama's Little Tenders? Did I make no, that up? You made
0: that up, but I like it better. <laughs> yeah. <God>. Mama's Tenders. <laughs> Mama's Tenders. <laughs> and man, they were good.
2: They were. They were like buffalo tenders, right? Yeah.
0: Ugh. Yes. They were like like so They were like, um like a chipotle spice, like chipotle- buffalo mixed sauce and they had some like creamy dipping it was great bridget
2: have some mama's
0: tenders please (laughs) yes go to western massachusetts (laughs) oh it probably wouldn't measure up over time bridget i'm sorry (laughs) i don't know
2: (laughs) um but yeah i just have a quick suggestion which is, we sort of talked about this earlier. Gail, you had maybe hinted toward talking about your playlist. Uh But I think like, and this is, again, very simple, but like finding a pump-up song for -hmm. yourself. (laughs) And for whatever reason, the first one that came to me, and bear with me, I'm always like 5 to 15 years behind on music, but Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire (laughs) the first (laughs) song that came to me. And then I like listened to it at home and I just felt like so fired up. And so that's my like quick and dirty suggestion yeah. is maybe, maybe not that song, but like finding yourself a pump up song or a soundtrack or something that sort of like lights a fire under you. I think is simple, but sometimes effective when you're like in a rut.
0: I would agree. And I had a similar quick and dirty suggestion, which is, and mine actually kind of ties back to, to ambition, because I feel like a place where you see women expressing ambition really proudly is in hip hop. And I think you should listen to Cardi B. I think you should watch videos, music videos of Cardi B. I think you should follow Cardi B on social media. If you so choose to continue being on social media, just take a, like, like a little daily dose of Cardi B I think would be good. And Lizzo. And I also yes, Lizzo. I wrote under my notes on Cardi B. I wrote get that ka-ching. because I also I want to be honest that I struggle a little bit, Bridget, with your question with the part that's like I don't make money because I find it really hard to get motivated about money. Like I know we we need it, but it just makes me freeze up to think about like yeah. like it doesn't. It makes me so full of anxiety to focus on money, and I feel like. Much of what I do to cope is instead of thinking about money, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to like, I'm going to like work like a little like badger. And then like when I focus too much on making money, I've often been in jobs I hated. So finding a balance of like something that makes you enough money to live, but also doesn't kill you can be hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then when I watched Cardi B and she's just like very kind of like materialistic in a way that feels fun. I'm like, okay, if you need motivation to make money, I feel like looking at Cardi B's wardrobe is part of it. Mm
1: -hmm. And like, and like you can have a shitty thing for a short amount of time. Like I was thinking like, obviously like if you're, you know, if you like don't make a lot of money, but like you also want to like get a security deposit so that you can move to a new place and like try something new in a new town or like, you know, I don't know, go on a trip to like refocus, right? you can kind of pick up like a six month part-time job and then devote all of that money to whatever that plan is. And then that only, it's like a small thing. It can be like 40 bucks a week. And then you're like funneling that in and then it's over, but it's something where like you're like that idea of like expressly taking a job for a particular reason and filling that like reason that you need it for, I think is, is really, it's something that I've started to do and or it's I'm planning to do it. And it, it gives me a sense of control of the sense of like, cause I f- money's all I think about because I am both poor and single and living very far away from my family and like not making a lot of money. And so, but I'm also like the product of the nineties. And so I'm like, well, of course I need brand name oatmeal or whatever. <laughs> um, so I also spend a lot of money. Um, and I'm also like, you know, perpetually like a little bit unhappy. So I'll go to Target and not think about it and like buy myself little things that make me happy. So like I'm not great with money. But so when I do try to get money, I don't actually have places for it because I'm just like, I need money, I need money. And so setting something, being like, you know what, I'm gonna get this little job and I am going to what make like 600 bucks and that's totally fine. And I'm gonna, you know, do it for a short amount of time. And all that money is gonna go into this folder that is going to take me to, Hong Kong or whatever and even though $600 is not going to take you to Hong (laughs) Kong but but. I like
2: that idea of like it's like a set goal and like things seem less overwhelming but you're still like you said you're like still in control but it's like you're in control of something that's also going to like break you out of your comfort zone so it's like the the best of both so you're saving for something that will hopefully kind of Get you out of that perpetual cycle of just doing the same thing every day. And while it's comfortable, like, you know that you're capable of more. And I know – and it's hard because then, like, you have to continue to remind yourself to put that money where it should be
1: going. But I think it's a good way to feel more in control for sure. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Okay. So one quick and dirty thing I, like, wrote down that is – I think it has has more to do with kind of what we were talking about earlier, but about – the idea of looking at someone else in a narrative, right? And this is kind of a, it's like a double-edged sword, or maybe not a double-edged, maybe just like a <laughs> single-edged sword. I don't really understand So a sword. a sword. A lot. <laughs> so just like a regular, like a knife, like a good butter
0: knife. I don't know. Is it something that in the immortal words of Gloria Estefan cuts both ways? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Actually, no, it just has good things and bad things. So it's just, it's like a, it's like a knife
0: that's also a spoon. <laughs> oh, good! You want to put that in your mouth?
1: <laughs> yeah. As as Gloria Stefan would say, it's a knife and also a spoon.
0: Bridget, get ready for a painful eating experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so. For me, it was. It's kind of the power of having a mentor, even if you're making someone up. You're finding someone to kind of look up to and not in the way that, and I guess this is going to kind of connect to what I'm going to say to you, not in the way that's like, I want to be as successful as this person. I want to be, you know, like this. And I think you can have different people for different times, but like for my kind of like low depression moments that have been in the past like year or so, the thing that's really helped me has been some sort of like made up version of Karen Kilgariff and Mrs. Maisel. And in identifying the things that I really like about them and the ways that they're both really messy. And I think I, I, like, I literally have written by this just like messy mentor. So like not someone who you really look up to in this like hero, I guess they are heroes, but like in this like really beautiful hero worship way, but in the way that like the way that they think and the way that their, their lives are messy, but that they still kind of continue, I think is a really, for me, it, it's been really helpful. Again, even though Mrs. Maisel is 100% unreal and Karen Kilgariff is a human who I don't know personally.
0: We, um, we, we know But her. I feel like I do.
1: No, we're all um, friends now. <laughs> but like, I, to me, it's like, like I get to see how, for example, like Mrs. Mazel, or I could just say Midge, but I like Mrs. Mazel better, how like Midge deals with her family while still trying to like keep up with her dreams and like not really give a crap about what anyone thinks, but like following this gift that she has. That just is that comes naturally, but then also she has to work at it. And then I guess in the same way, like Karen Kilgariff, where it's like you're she's really open about her mental health and addiction and recovery, and then also kind of like and also being just like a very similar in this kind of motivation kind of way, or like really feeling comfortable in being unhappy and how we can kind of like she thinks a lot about how we can get out of that. Um, she's really open on like my favorite murder, and also in, like I just. Like her anyway, her, and her music is incredible. But and I guess even with her music, like it's something where like she realized this is just a weird thing she can do, which is like write these silly comedic songs that are really self-deprecating. And just like Mrs. Maisel uses that like weird gift that it, because it comes naturally, you kind of don't think at first that like that's something that you should spend time honing. Because you're like, oh, well, the thing that I'm good at or the thing that I want to be, the thing that I want to do, it should be hard because then you have to work hard at it. But then sometimes you kind of have to go back and like, oh, actually, the gift is the thing that comes easy to me and who I am. Like, the main point here is to not care about what anybody thinks of you and forget anybody's expectations and not even just forget everybody's expectations, but stop. Oh, God, it's this quote from Brene Brown. Like, stop thinking about the things that you should be and just be the same thing. Like, be a better version of the thing that you are. Not Maybe not a better version. That's not the quote. But it's like, stop spending so much time thinking about the things that you should be and hone the things that you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. it does. It
0: Actually, I've had like a pretty, I don't know, like a bigger life change in the past couple of years where I went from teaching full-time at a university to now – having two part-time jobs with two different nonprofits. And it was a really hard change to make. Um, And one that, you know, I, I got to it because I was so miserable. It was like, I let myself go in that comfortable zone for a while. And then I realized I was like pretty much making myself sick with how miserable I was. And so I got to a breaking point where I had to change and then I was like totally lost. And then I found myself doing these new things and what I have learned from it is going to sound so like, it's going to sound so like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. Yogi, blah, blah, blah. But the (laughs) truth is what I've learned is that if you can find the thing that you are a wellspring of the thing, cause like, I feel like any change and this is really just thinking about like the money part of it. It's, but it's thinking about it more, just like finding maybe a profession that's going to be better for you. That's going to be like, more fulfilling and I don't know, potentially more lucrative. I don't know. But I found that once I found the things that I could give freely, that I could just keep giving them forever, like teaching at a university tapped like talents I had, but ones that like strained me like I'm not I'm not meant to be up in front of a group I'm not meant to perform in that way it's something I can do but it just like drains me down to like a husk of a person but once I found the things that like tapped resources in me that like that don't drain me I can just like I can give that forever and so I feel like it's finding what that is in you like what you are willing to give just forever and ever and how and like then you can be super happy doing the work you're doing and not burned out by it and you can find the thing that's like your your niche that hopefully also you get paid for. <laughs> that's the hard part I think of that is yeah. finding the thing and and then getting paid for it. That's what you made me think about when you were talking about like finding the thing that is more like inherent to who you are.
2: Yeah, yeah. or at least something that doesn't just like kill all the fuel that you have for other things. Like being a creative Mm -hmm. person, I have found like now that I'm in my mid-30s, I've definitely realized that I'm not not like a career-driven person. Like there is not one like certain career that I feel like I I need to climb the ladder. But I do similarly, Caroline, I've had enough jobs that have made me miserable that I realize as long as I'm not working a job that makes me miserable or that doesn't kill that creative part of me that's excited to work on what I'm passionate about that to me is the important thing too that like sometimes even if you can't find the job that you love to do and maybe like that's definitely the aspiration you you at least are real with yourself about like you said like is this job making me physically ill <laughs> yeah. is it like killing my passion for what i really want to be doing like just being real with yourself about that and like if you're able take a risk really look for something else that will get you out of this kind of like
0: cycle of it's time to climb out of the mattress canoe <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> and- just Perfect. Bring, in it, bring in it full and circle. And paddleboard into your new life, Bridget.
1: <laughs> and then this, I think, gives us the, it's like the best transition into, I think, when thinking about how to change and like the ways of changing, right? To me, and I think about this a lot, we're like, who you are as a person, as we were talking about before, like, you're just a series of choices. So like, you may be the person who tends to be late, but like the moment that you, like this next time, you just are on time, then the next time you're on time and then, you know, and like, or, you know, whatever kind of thing you want to think about. But like the moment you make the decision and the moment that like you have these choices and the moment you kind of like, you know, change your life in this particular, even just small ways, then you become that person. And I think it really connects to that. I mean, I know fake it till you make it is a really, really silly saying, but it's really, really every, everything about AA. <laughs> and they're saying <laughs> connects with me as like a writer and like someone who tries to get out of a lot of that kind of like self-destructive mindset where it's like you, and I don't, you know, obviously like, we're not specifically talking about addiction here, but it's like the moment that you make the decision to not do whatever and that's you know that's why one day at a time or it's like the moment you decide to not do something you're con- and you're going to continue making those decisions and each decision is just another notch in your identity of like you as someone who doesn't use or like you who's, as someone who like doesn't self-destruct or anything and so um in thinking about this and there's definitely like research that like if it's literally something in you that like you've successfully found and like it's holding you back Faking it till you make it actually works. So like if you, you know, you're kind of thinking like, well, what would a confident person do? And then you say, well, they would be doing this, this, and this. Well, just do those because then you become the confident person and you're doing those things. And so it's less about the identity of like, well, I'm not a confident person. And just about actually just doing the small acts of being a confident person. And then as those acts build up, you become a confident person. Now, of course, there's research that's like, that, like if it's the opposite thing and you you actually are like, are missing a whole other thing, then sometimes it can backfire. But if it's something like that, where it's like you, all you want to do is like feel confident and you want to, you know, enact this kind of change or feel more self-confident or anything like that, then it's really just about enacting those like decisions and choices that people make. So in doing that, I was looking at this Dear Sugar's, Uh, is it just, is it just deer sugar? I think it's just deer sugar. (laughs) Yeah. But more than one of them is deer sugars um, (laughs) or deer's sugar. But there's in the whole actual, the like advice that the like question for advice is not super relevant here, but she does say the sentence that I think is it's much better said than I tried to say. I I kept saying like changes in the gesture, it's in the gesture. And then she literally wrote (laughs) real change happens on the level of the gesture. (laughs) It's one person doing one thing differently than he or she did before. It's the man who opts not to invite his abusive mother to his wedding. The woman who decides to spend her Saturday mornings in a drawing class instead of scrubbing the toilets at home. The writer who won't allow himself to be devoured by his envy. The parent who takes a deep breath instead of throwing the plate. It's (laughs) you and me standing naked before our lovers. We don't have to be naked here, but she talks naked as a part of it. I mean, I'm naked Um, right now. I don't know about (laughs) you guys. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe that's, maybe I need to work on that too. She said, even if it makes us feel kind of squirmy in a bad way, when we do, the work is there. It's our task. Doing it will give us strength and clarity. It will bring us closer to who we hope to be. You have to be brave enough to build the intimacy you deserve. You'd have to take off all of your clothes and say, I'm right here. Now, Bridget, you don't have to take off all your clothes. <laughs> Literally. Literally. I recommend doing this metaphorically, but whatever. But yeah, so it's it's this feeling of like you make these momentous changes and they build up and then you're, you literally are just a series of changes and you can – and like even if your identity feels really washy and changing it seems insurmountable, that has nothing
0: to do with it. It's really just one decision after the next, after the next. And in that vein, I would like to recommend – and I know this is not the type of recommendation we typically give, but <laughs> I would like to recommend a haircut because I'm sure whatever your hair looks like now is beautiful, Bridget. But I have just found in my life that when I'm conscientiously trying to do something different with my life, like whether it's like, like I've done this after breakups, I've done this at like when deciding to move somewhere or get a new job, that I just get a fresh haircut and start Mm -hmm. to think of myself as like, this is the next version of who Caroline is going to be. So I really recommend a haircut.
1: Oh yeah. Just, Just think about it. Just think about it. And then, so I read a book called The Motivation Myth and there's a Bradley Whitford quote, which I had no idea Bradley Whitford actually did this, but it's something like, um, in order to fall in love with the product, you have to fall in love with the process. Mm. And so it's again, this like decision-making where like, Sure. You can run a half marathon and give yourself that final goal. And I think that's sometimes what we feel like we have to do. We're like, I'm just going to make myself do it. I'm going to, if I'm going to lose 50 pounds, I'm going to like set these goals and like, I need to finish it by this time. And like, so you try to use that as your motivator, but that's like only going to work for a short amount of time and it's going to burn you out. And you're not actually like, it's not actually going to give you sustainable results and so you have to kind of fall in love with the practice of what you're doing so in order to be a good runner you have to love running the act of running every day i don't say you have to but you know it's a lot it's training yourself to like running or it's training yourself to uh and like with tender it's falling in love with the idea of just meeting new people and not always be kind of like in that goal of i'm doing this in order to get to this final result i'm doing this to like i'm dealing with all this bad crap so that i can get to that partner or whatever it's going through every day and being and not feeling like they're just steps to this other bigger process it's kind of you're like just I say falling in love but you know being okay with enjoying the process of getting there or else you're gonna get burned out it's not gonna work and you're gonna kind of fall back in that same rut I think
0: yeah I actually have a a suggestion along those lines for you Bridget which is that I if you haven't already or even if you have I would suggest watching chef's table the Netflix series.
1: Oh, I have a Chef's Table to recommend. Oh, you do? So That's maybe, so funny.
0: maybe I'll I'll say my piece for like the series as a whole, and you can recommend like the one episode. Yes, I don't no, have no, no.
1: I I don't have anything to say much about it. It's just like I have one. That's so funny that I brought one up. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: So what I love about Chef's Table every time I every time I watch it, I want to write because you just see these people who are so engaged with their craft, and in a way that isn't. I mean, some, there are like, there's like the one-off where you're like, that guy's kind of a jerk. But for the most part, they're people who are just like, just have like integrity with the way they do what they do and aren't necessarily in it for the acclaim or anything like that. But they're like the attention to detail, the attention to like the craftsmanship and the integrity with which what they're doing what they do just makes me motivated to do the thing I do in that way. So I think like it's a great way to feel motivated. And on the same vein, the documentary Jiro dreams of sushi does the same thing. And he is like considered the best at what he does. And he still is like always striving to become better at it. And so I think, but it's not in like a tired way. It's in like this, I don't know the way he expresses it is just like, it's just done with such like care and attention and integrity. And I feel like that makes me so Mm -hmm. motivated to do everything better.
1: Yeah, the the practice is what he enjoys, yeah. and like mm-hmm. the, the even like the the praxis or whatever you would call that. And yeah, my particular recommendation was Christina Tosi's Chef's Table because it's just my favorite. Wonderful. And it's going through like the weirdnesses and like seeing that there are going to be people who are going to recognize what you do, and you can kind of I don't know. It's like it shows a pretty loving and compelling journey, and just like her doing the things that she's lo- always loved to do. I guess. But yeah, so then I recommend my Gale Get Up playlist, which includes, for me, the song Gloria, <laughs> which I, that's not a recommendation, but I have a couple, like, there's a lot of Lizzo songs on there. Um, Will you say the artist
0: for Gloria, Gail?
1: Yeah, Laura Branigan. Okay. I just recommend going to Spotify and getting, and like, finding the playlist. But then there's also, there's like the Sharon Van Etten song 17, and then there's a, Bella Fleck and Abigail Washburn song, If I Could Talk to a Younger Me, which both are kind of like fairly cheesy in that like, you know, talking to your younger self and like time is passing and, you, you know, da-da-da-da. But it's also, they're also just really good songs too. But yeah, so I have a lot of songs, like I have nine to five on my playlist where it's just like, oh, and I have, <laughs> Stevie Wonder's Superstition is the first song on the playlist because no matter, and again, it's just the it's just like following through a practice and following through the, the motions until you start to feel it. Because like, no matter what, how I'm feeling, if superstition s- starts playing and that like really funky, like lick starts, it's like, bow, 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 you know, and <laughs> it's like your body just kind of goes, what? And then you start like, then you get up. And so it's a lot of that. Like the playlist is basically just like trying to start my battery so that eventually I can like get myself going. But yeah, so pump-up songs, like Anne said.
0: Awesome. And you can... So Bridget can access your Spotify playlist called Gale Get Up. Awesome. Yep.
2: Beautiful. So do we have some maybe final recommendations
0: for our friend Bridget? I have a poem to recommend. Great. So I thought immediately of the poet Arta Collins when I first listened to Bridget's question. And the reason is because... I don't know if you guys remember when she came. So Gail and Ann and I took a, um, in the last year of graduate school, we took a manuscript workshop together where we talked about putting together book-length manuscripts. And Artie came and visited our class, and someone asked her something about sequencing your poems. And she goes, make it like Thriller or like Whitney Houston's first album. And that's something I think about all the time, not just with poetry, but I think like it's such a difficulty to be like, you know, I mean, her point there was every single poem should be awesome. So you don't have to worry too, too much about sequencing because everyone's just as strong as the next. And that's such a hard way to do anything, you know, is to like to make your every moment the best. But I do think there's a little bit as far as like motivation and ambition go, I feel like that's a great advice. Like don't half-ass things, just stop half-assing. Just do full ass, every- full ass. Get your, I, and this brings us back to Lizzo a little bit. Watch Lizzo's entire strand of Instagram videos for her Ask Chella <laughs> promo. Yes. But yeah, do everything with both butt cheeks because <laughs> it's not worth half assing things. And so I actually then was looking through Arda's book, It Is Daylight, and I found a poem that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning and just kind of like living through inertia I'll just read it to you so this this poem is just my my reason for reading it to you is that it makes me laugh and it kind of shows what can happen if you just become complacent so it's kind of like a a funny little cautionary tale (laughs) with a voice in front of you as you're standing with the heel of your shoe on top of some neatly sliced red onion, you might think to yourself, I'm at onion or I'm in onion today. Coming home in the evening, you might see a letter waiting there tucked just underneath the sliced onion. You would stand with the heel of your shoe just beside the slices while opening it. The letter might be from a friend filled with some news and asking, how are you at your new place? A fly might come in the window and land nearby as you read. That evening, beside the Onion, you write in your journal, cloudy again, a fly came to Onion earlier, no other visitors. Received letter from R. Stood for several hours. Heard something fall over and scatter outside at lunchtime. Plan to stay at Onion until the end of the month. You sleep on the floor and wake disoriented and frightened, uncertain if the heaviness surrounding your sleep is onion that still permeates your fingers day comes to your estranged bed the mood of the bathtub inexplicably altered the smell of the darkened kitchen the morning hallway the evening chairs alone on the couch in the daytime you say something aloud and it's not your own voice that carries through the living room but a voice that comes from in front of you and everything moves towards it so I just love that poem. And I, I like, it's so funny. Like I love just thinking of like, well, there's this onion and there's nothing I can do about it. I live here now. I live in onion. Um, so don't stop living in onion, Bridget. We love you. <laughs> be, now that we're friends, you need
1: to
2: not live let, in onion. You can't <laughs> let you
0: live in onion anymore.
2: <laughs> no, be your protagonist Get out of yes, and don't, that protagonist mm-hmm. is not an onion. No,
0: be the voice that ushers from your own body. Be usher. Be usher. <laughs> Be usher
1: get out of your mattress canoe, usher. God. Oh, man. <sighs> and don't look at Instagram or
0: social media. Too but much. when you do, look at Cardi B. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> yeah. We've come to the end. I
2: think, that, I think that's it,
0: Bridget. We love you.
2: <laughs> we love you. We love you. And we're yes. friends now. Now That We're Friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Anne Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Our producer is Lisann, boss of our hearts, Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. Now That We're Friends is an O oh Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at You can also follow us on Facebook at Now That We're Friends and on Twitter and Instagram at ntwfpodcast.